You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these are your notes about what we're going to say. What does it say? it would be a good... (laughs) I didn't even get to idea. Maybe I can just ask you the question. (laughs) It's going well. It's going really well. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Right and Wrong podcast. Well, welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. It's been a while for me, hasn't it, Jamie? It has been a while. We've had, Naomi's been filling in. She's done it. She's done a great job, but Emma's back. She's really well. I'm back. Um, Jamie's here he's back he's always here so that's nice (laughs) can't get rid of me and in today's episode very excited to be joined by comedian podcaster author and breakup royalty Rosie Wilby welcome to the show Rosie (laughs) oh thank you very much are you referring to my nickname as the queen of breakups the queen of breakups herself here she is (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a strange kind of uh, accolade, isn't it? Like, does it mean I'm really good at breakups or really bad at relationship choices in the first place? <laughs> well, I feel like you should answer that question yourself, really. Well, yes, I, I think, well, it comes from the fact, of course, that I have been researching relationships and more particularly breakups for a number of years for my podcast, The Breakup monologues and my book which now has the same title and also the subtitle the unexpected joy of heartbreak so we Ooh. might get on to the sort of good aspect of a breakup if if you can believe that there is one but i Shocking. i do think that there is definitely i agree with you rosie there definitely is there's a positive in everything 100%. i feel um and john you book came out on the 27th of may this year that's right um yeah. which is basically an account of your relationships and I guess subsequent breakups with some (laughs) sort of observations and yeah no I what I what I've done with both of my books um because I had another book a few years ago called is monogamy dead which was also based on one of my comedy shows that I toured around the UK and taken to Edinburgh Fringe and around the world a little bit um, but what I've done with both of my books is I would describe them as narrative nonfiction in they combine a personal story about my journey, my arc of learning and personal growth. And they combine that with some real science and psychology and other people's stories, and particularly, obviously, with the new book. Um, there are lots of other people's breakup stories, funny stories, dramatic or bizarre stories um, that perhaps illustrate a point about how there could be a good side to breakups eventually once the dust has settled or about how awful we might feel in that initial kind of wave of, of grief and sadness after after a breakup um so yeah I really do like to put a very personal spin on the kind of science of how something works for example one of the early chapters in the new book sees me going off to visit a sex lab oh <laughs> lab. wow oh. a lab okay <laughs> yeah so basically this was an experiment they were doing at the University of Essex and so they were putting people into like a little sort of sealed 
booth and you are watching erotic images, shall we say, and you are having your arousal measured and things like your pupil dilation (laughs) as well. And you're also reporting on your arousal. But the funny thing about this experiment is that the control clip that you're shown in between the erotic images is a David Attenborough nature documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's brilliant. Was that deemed the least erotic thing? Yeah, that's supposed to calm you down, apparently. (laughs) Poor David. (laughs) That is so good. (laughs) That is supposed to calm you down after all of all of the excitement. What yeah, uh, yeah. what unit do they measure um, arousal in? <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I was shown some little little graphs of my arousal. When I say little, I do mean little because he had to zoom in. Um, I, I I'm not necessarily that aroused by sitting in a strange little cramped booth watching yes. weird erotic images of complete strangers um what <laughs> you mean you're not <laughs> everyone's got their kink you know yeah, exactly. i know exactly i'm i don't know like i was more kind of concerned about you know the fact that there was a guitar leaning against the window in the corner <laughs> of the shot you know and i thought oh you know that looks like a nice guitar and it looks a bit precariously leaning <laughs> exciting yeah so so basically i put myself into some of these experiments so Mm. so that you don't have to you can learn from my uh, (laughs) my participating in very weird experiences and in the first book as well i do uh some experiments at um with a researcher that I know based at King's College London looking into the origins of our sexual orientation and we do all these tests in sort of map reading and uh, memory and word fluency and and all of these kind of things which is really really interesting because it does seem that uh, gay people and straight people have certain different aptitudes and there's some kind of suggestion about whether the parts of the brain that shape our sexual orientation might start to develop in our early stages of development in the womb. Mm. Mm, that's so interesting. That's really that is really interesting. And so obviously a lot of quite a lot of research went in to you not only writing your book but to start your podcast as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's a real mix because obviously there are lots of episodes of the podcast that are myself with fellow comedians just having a really good time and having a good laugh. But then there are episodes that have a lot of kind of science content and psychology and relationship therapists and academics and really thinking about the evolutionary anthropology behind how we conduct our relationships. But, you know, I like to combine that with a bit of fun. I mean, I always say that I started researching breakups when I got dumped by email and I did feel wow. much better. I wow. did feel a bit better once I corrected her spelling. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's not okay. <laughs> no. Well, the thing is, you know, now we have this whole culture of ghosting, breadcrumbing, yeah. submarining. There's this whole new lexicon mm. of breakups I've and there's a whole chapter of, of, of the book unpacking <laughs> these terms. And so, yeah, there's all these kind of new behaviors, which is is so interesting. My favorite one is, and this does have a slight literary twist, uh, it's marleying, which is a variation on ghosting, but you just pop up again at Christmas. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> that is ridiculous. I, I actually haven't heard a lot of these uh, things either. I, did, I have heard breadcrumbing and ghosting, though. I feel like uh, dating apps are, are, are really kind of inducive towards ghosting 
right? Just mm, kind of the way they're exactly. set up and the situation that they set up with people. Yeah, that's right. It's It really facilitates that kind of behavior. And a lot of kind of dating experts talk about the gamification of yeah. love and dating yeah. where it's become like a game, essentially. Mm, no, definitely. Um, and what um, do you think sparked um, you wanting to put this all down in, into words, really, from, from your from the podcast um I think I've always enjoyed writing and words I have done many many things in my life but before I turned to comedy I was a musician I was a singer-songwriter and so writing lyrics was always really important and expressing Um, something through the lyrics and what I wanted or needed even to say and to express and put out there into the world and I think you know, there's always a hope if you write in one form or another that you're going to connect with some audience, some people out there who see things and feel things the way that you do. I think it's very human to feel like we're alone or different or weird. (laughs) So I think there's something comforting about connecting with people who feel some similar things. And I think that's similarly why I've been interested in writing about breakups, because I think it's comforting to share our stories and feel that other people are responding to things in the same kind of a way. But also when I was a musician, which is is going back (laughs) a good few years now, um, I was also a music journalist for some magazines like Time oh, cool. Out. I did I did quite a lot of work for right at the end of the 90s and the early noughties. So, yeah, when I was kind of young, 20-something in London, I was writing a lot of music reviews and journalism and interviews with kind of Britpop bands and so on. So, yeah, writing's always been a bit in my blood and it just made sense because I think the frustrating thing about being a comedian much as there are lots of wonderful things that it it can be amazing when you've really connected with an audience and everyone's laughing and having a great time (laughs) (laughs) you know which is the result you hope for it doesn't always happen like that (laughs) exactly (laughs) but the frustrating thing about it is even the best gig even if you've been filming it or recording it in some way it's sort of gone it's happened the moment has passed yeah Whereas if you document something in a book, that that is an artifact that stays, you know, however people consume it, whether it's an ebook or an actual lovely physical book, or they might listen to the audio book, which I've narrated, but it is something fixed that that stays there. It's kind of a constant performance of it or a expression of something. So I think there's something comforting about that as opposed to the sort of very ephemeral nature of a great comedy show or comedy performance where you've you know thought of some really spontaneous ad libs they're sort of just gone in the moment and you think yeah. oh you know if i said that again it probably wouldn't it wouldn't be the same yeah yeah, yeah no that, that is so true it doesn't like i think comedy is so quick-lived isn't it it's just it's very instant um whereas i think writing is a lot more lasting i think sometimes yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, a book, you know, books are timeless in many ways, and unless society changes and cancels you. But <laughs> other than that, oh they're pretty timeless. But um, that's not going to happen, Rosie, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, what I was going to ask was, your, so your stand-up is uh, a lot about relationships uh, and, and, and breakups as well. Uh, both your books, Is Monogamy Dead and The Breakup Monologues, based off a show and the podcast 
would you ever think about writing something sort of uh, that exists in its own uh, space? Um, possibly, although I do think that writing things across different mediums is a really fun way of going about something. And also it kind of establishes, a, if you like, I mean, I, I don't know whether I like using this word, but in inverted commas, brand. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, so you, when you go to a publisher, you can say, well, look, I've already got an audience for this. I've already got, already got interest in this because yeah. I've got this podcast and it's got all these listeners all around the world and it's had these reviews and uh, these ratings and, um, you know, so, so I think you can sort of go to a publisher with some ammunition, whereas if you just go with a proposal and an idea and there's no demonstrative way of saying this is going to be great <laughs> yeah you know yeah. people are definitely i have a marketing plan people are definitely going to buy it and consume it um i think it's harder i think you know even if you have a, a little bit of a profile as a comedian as as i do it's, it's still hard to convince publishers to give you an advance and you know give you a deal for for writing a book so yeah. it's it's really tricky times um and i was really conscious i wanted to get a deal with a if i could with a major publisher this time that was a bit of an ambition because with my first book it was out with a small indie who right uh, sadly were in quite some financial distress and eventually got bought out but there was mm. a lot of um <laughs> kind of drama <laughs> and roller coaster right. yeah. times when they were kind of when a lot of really lovely helpful staff were being made redundant you know people yeah. I'd sort of mm. formed a bond and connection and relationship with and we were all set to market the book and then they were no longer there so I mean the interesting thing then of course is that you know I signed a deal with a major publisher and then the world kind of almost ended and I mm. you know there's no certainty <laughs> about <know>. anything <laughs> you know you wonder if bookshops are gonna survive and and all yeah. of this kind of stuff but it does seem bookshops you know even some of the smaller indie ones do seem to have survived and done okay because people have still been reading books thank goodness yeah I feel like that there's there's sort of been an uptick as well uh, book talk has become a big thing book talk book talk uh... yeah but um in terms so talking about your first book talking about your new book we'll get onto the business stuff later but how did you find writing the breakup monologues book in the wake of um not in the wake of but having written one book how was it writing the second one for you well i sort of had a bit of a template for um as i say writing narrative non-fiction with science embedded in that so i yeah. had a bit of a sense i also quite like to play around with timelines um okay. the the first book has kind of flashbacks in it and the second book has a what I call a butterfly painting structure because the prologue is called the butterfly painting and that sets out this idea that if we could view our relationships as palindromes we might be able to sort of learn things by looking backwards and then take those on board when we kind of travel forwards again and it's this sense that an ending is always also a beginning of something new so perhaps we shouldn't always feel like it's the end of the world definitely beautifully that beautifully said yeah. <laughs> yes literally um well we've we've also um only ever had one other standard comedian on the show um so we who, were, of... who were they <laughs> uh, it was the it was the lovely andy osho 
working yeah. on the show. So we yeah. we were like really interested to hear about your process when it comes to I guess writing a set and whether it, it you attack it differently to you do you know your book or your podcast. Yeah, definitely. I think when you write comedy, it can be a mistake to think about it too much as a word for word script because you might deliver it in a sort of monologue fashion. Whereas I tend to write live comedy in a more bullet point kind of a way. In fact, I remember once I had my set list written on the back of my hand, which is a bit of a trope among new <laughs> comics that you, you just have that little prompt there just in case you forget what, you, what you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and in fact, no, I didn't have my set list written on my hand because I decided I would <laughs> never do that because I thought I might become reliant on it. I had my shopping list written on my hand. <laughs> and some people in the front row were really confused and looking at that and going, well, she hasn't even done a joke about hummus. <laughs> <laughs> How dare she? <laughs> That's brilliant. I, I mean, did you find you were able to, so I guess a lot of the skills, did you think that everything was transferable from podcast to books to everything else? I mean, largely speaking, yes. And I'd say the mm. most useful transferable skill that really equips you well as a writer is that you're able to perform your work if you are going to narrate your audio book yeah. or if you're going to perform at a literary festival or literary event or night. Um, you know to sort of look up from your book and connect with the audience and deliver it. And also you feel comfortable doing, having conversations like this um, because you're used to sort of talking to people in a fairly public forum. Whereas I know a lot of very introverted writers who've sort of been shut away writing their book. And then, you know, I chat to them in the, in the green room when we're at a literary festival and they're really, really scared about yeah. going mm, on yeah. stage to read from their work. So I think being able to perform your work and connect with an audience does help. Um, and that that's a bit of a head start, I think. But actually the writing process, um, I don't know. I think it is slightly different um, mm. because you just have to write so much <laughs> when you yeah. write the next book. <laughs> um, you know, and it's like several kind of one-hour Edinburgh Fringe shows. Um, you know, 70,000 words is a lot. Um, it is and a that's lot not words. even a crazy long book, really, is it? No, not well, it depends on the genre, but but not generally, no. Was um was it always the plan that you were going to narrate the audiobook for the the breakup monologues? Uh yes, that I I mean, I I think that was pretty much always the plan. Uh, interestingly, I narrated the first book for Audible and before you narrate your audiobook for Audible, you have to go and do something called a voice test where you just go in and, and read a bit and they go, oh, yeah, you, 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 seem, you nice. sound fine. You, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, yeah, I suppose it's checking that you just are able to just sit there and do it because it actually yeah. drives you a bit mad just sitting in the studio for hours on end Yeah, reading your workout. It is a strange experience and there are professionals who, you know, know how to do that. But I've done a lot of podcasting and radio, so it's it's not too bad, but... Yeah, I must say it's quite a long stint. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. How, how long, like, obviously it takes longer than the audiobook actually is because you probably do multiple takes and, and things like that. How long do you reckon it is actually in the studio? Um, 
I think with this one, I asked if I could break it into half day sessions because I just think that's more manageable. And also, particularly if you've got other things going on, like gigs in the evening or you're doing other work, other projects. Um, So, but the half day session was actually quite short. It was quite packed. I think it was like a three hour session, like two till five or something like that. And we did it, I think, in four of those for a seven hour audio book. That's really good. Yeah, one take wonders all the way. Because <laughs> you do obviously have have a little tea break, and you know yeah. you need to kind of have a moment to go to the loo, or you know just get a breath of fresh air for five minutes, or um, yeah. But it, yeah, it's quite intense. Okay, okay. Mm. And going back to the business side of things, you touched on this earlier, and you mentioned that. Because at this podcast, we're, we're very interested in the journey that people take uh, in their sort of careers. So you were saying that you signed your, your first book, Is Monogamy Dead, with an indie publisher. Did you submit that yourself? And did you go through a sort of submit and pro- submission process? Um, I Both times I have had an agent. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the same agent? So, uh, no, no. Different a, agent. A different okay. agent. Um So the first agent I had was a friend of mine who knew my work. And um, yeah, I mean, actually, (laughs) a sad part of the sort of stressful situation that arose when the publisher was going bust is that we um, ended up not working together anymore because we don't see eye to eye or didn't then Uh, about how publishing works in terms of Mm -hmm. how writers are rewarded and we just had real big ethical differences differences of opinion and and principles Mm -hmm. about that so we stopped working together but that was really difficult and in fact that's one of the breakups that I've written about in the breakup monologues I've written about professional breakups because you know they're they're important too and friendship Mm, breakups and these different types of ending yeah, I really like, yeah, I, I love that you touched on those two aspects of it because I think it's so important to acknowledge that a breakup isn't just um, through a sexual experience, you know, romantic, um, yeah. and that it's, you know, a romantic, yeah, exactly. So, and that it can, it can be really important to break up with a friend and professionally as well, and it can be as hard, which, you know, I think is very important to touch on, definitely. So how did you come about? Um, meeting your second agent? Um, that was through the podcast, actually, which is why oh, really? I do think I do. I'm a believer in if you have an idea for a book, it's worth exploring it through some other medium, whether that is a podcast or a blog or some other way of putting your ideas out there and just getting a bit of a taster and a bit of feedback. Um, so, Yes, um, I'm now signed to Catherine Summerhays at Curtis Brown, and she was the agent. Well, she's the agent for lots of people, actually, but (laughs) I noticed a couple of years ago she was agenting Katie Brand, and she was going to be guesting on my podcast at Port Elliot Festival, which is something that the lovely people at the festival had set up and they'd connected us. But um, I didn't have direct contact with Katie and I wanted to ask her about what she was happy to chat about or not on the podcast because I didn't sure. want to get on stage in front of a couple of hundred people and ask her about a breakup she didn't want to talk about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, as it turned out, she was very, very open and uh, it's a lovely <laughs> episode. Do check it out. But um, yeah, so, but I dropped Catherine an email and said, 
would it be possible for you to link me up with Katie just because I'd like to have a chat before this podcast and um, just a kind of cheeky little I am thinking about turning this podcast into a nonfiction book. Would you be interested to see a proposal? <laughs> Just in the PS at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but obviously that it's lucky that she was um, like, yeah, I'd love to see it. Um, and then when yeah. I did send it to her, she was like, oh, you know, I think it's interesting and it's got potential, but I need to see a bit more. And so we did kind of stay in contact. I mean, that said, the actual deal I ended up getting was through a contact of mine I had at Bloomsbury anyway. So sometimes, right. you know, but I think agents help the wheels along and help yeah. put things in process and help you have a bit of, um, you know, a presence in the sort of negotiation and all of that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah, it was interesting how there was a contact I'd made through Twitter with actually the science imprint at Bloomsbury, which I was sort of gunning for that. And he thought there maybe wasn't enough science, but he passed it on to the health and wellbeing imprint who are called Mm. Green Tree and it's with them. Oh, amazing. Your agent, um, does she help you editorially with with the book at all? No, that's why, you know, you're assigned an editor through your publisher. Um, Sure. You know, so to be honest, a lot of it is down to the writer themselves. I don't know how involved different editors are and what different relationships are in place. Maybe some writers have a very, very collaborative relationship with an editor they've worked with several times. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I think perhaps because of the pandemic, I didn't really, <laughs> you know, see anybody, but we had um, obviously email notes back and forth and that kind of thing. Um Sure. And then there's quite quite a long um, kind of editing process, um, which is quite quite challenging. Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. you know, yeah. especially when it gets to the more nitty gritty of little detail and proofing and kind of little weird grammatical errors that creep in. Sort of when it gets typeset, and you're like, "Oh, hang on, that you've suddenly changed this word to something that doesn't make sense." <laughs> and, you know, yeah. gremlins <laughs> creep in, and often you're the one to notice these things um you know um even though you know everyone is is kind of doing a great job um sometimes it's the writer themselves who it's so important to you that you are the one checking everything like last thing at night Mm. you know on the day before it you know it goes to the printers I mean with my first book it had been all proofed and everything like that and I noticed that there was this weird big white splodge on one of the pages that obscured several words. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, so they did fix it. But, you know, I just think no one would have noticed because everyone's so frantically busy. That's yeah. what I found with publishers yeah. is, you know, we have this kind of romantic notion that we're going to really have our hand held by, you know, all these people who are going to guide us through the process and advise us at every stage. And, you know, I would say that all of these people I've worked with are really excellent at their jobs, but they're doing their jobs with a zillion other writers as well. So yeah. you only have a very short window when you have their time and attention. So it's, I think, a good idea to learn as much as possible about publishing and, and the whole process as you can. So when they talk about, I don't know, advanced proofs or, you know, uh, 
arcs or or all of these kind of things or different typesetting terminologies you know Mm. you can you know what they're talking about and when they talk about royalties and um you know when that you're talking about purchasing your own copies for resale um you know what is kind of typical in terms of discounts author discounts for that um there was a big um mistake (laughs) with my first (laughs) book which was yeah, uh, oh, no. not great <laughs> because I'd been told I had a 60% discount when it, I had a 40% discount, which makes oh. a big difference. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow, a big difference. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. At least you got all this stuff out of the way with the first book. So, I know, so exactly. This one can be smooth sailing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> this time I have a 50% author discount, which is fairly typical. Um, but it just means if you want to buy a few copies yourself um, to then sell – at uh, smaller events where there's no official bookstall, um, you can do that. And, you know, potentially you can make a little profit on those. But the really interesting thing that, again, I wasn't told with the first book is those copies do not count towards official sales, which is really oh, important oh. to know. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's important to know. That is very important to know. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Because that case. affects advances and, and, and exactly things. Exactly that. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, so. I was listening to your podcast today, actually. <laughs> and the most recent episode on the Break Up Monologues is um, was something a, a bit slightly different. I yeah. want you to tell us a little bit about the new project or that you're working on at the moment. Well, yeah, I've I've just put out a pilot on the Break Up Monologues feed, and it is something completely different. I had a small grant from a podcast production company called Content is Queen, who were fab. Shout out to them, and. Um, yeah, I've I've developed this um, pilot for an idea called Looking for My Sister, which is about kind of siblings that we wish we had or siblings we sort of feel we might have had, even though we know we don't have them, if you know what I mean. And I'm investigating the weird metaphysical spiritual ideas of, you know, past lives or, you know, kind of vanishing twin syndrome and, and all of this kind of stuff. So there's a lot in there. And there's definitely potential for maybe a longer series, which I would like to sort of pitch around and see if I can, you know, get get um, development money or get a producer or production company to work with me to make a longer season of that. And then, you know, maybe that would be my next book idea. Exactly. Um, we will see. <laughs> We see where you're going with this one, Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like the strategy. I like this the way I that do. you, you exactly. sort, of, sort of act out in real life your your plan for your book and then write the book. Yeah. Well, you can almost get really meta about it because you can write about your journey towards writing the book in the book, <laughs> which sort of appears a bit in my breakup monologues book. I, you know, I alongside obviously talking about breakups and my relationship journey and and sort of staying together in my relationship finally I also talk about the challenges of being a creative and trying to make a living and as Mm. I say talking about professional breakups um and sort of um also my experience at Edinburgh Fringe and my decision to break up with Edinburgh Fringe um because of the finances of that um so you know I do think it's uh quite interesting to sort of talk about you know, the development of your creative work as well within that. Because I think that's all part of your story if you're a creative artist. So, so yeah, there's certainly a chapter um, set on a boating holiday where I talk about, you know, I'm supposed to be writing a book proposal. And then there's a footnote going, yes, the proposal for this book. <laughs> 
I love that. I love that. I love that. Taking all of that, uh, all of your experience and, and, and the things that you share through your books, through your podcast, through your, through your shows, uh, what advice would you give to your younger self if you could go back in time before any of this started? What advice would you give yourself? Oh, I don't know. I guess believe in yourself, continue to be authentic and keep, um, you know, saying the things that you want to say and putting your work out there. Um, but I, I don't know. I would just say have more confidence in in what you're doing because I, I've kind mm. of been, I've ebbed and flowed in terms of my confidence. And sometimes, well, as you will read about in my books, sometimes I've been distracted by relationships and love and feeling like, I'm failing at love if relationships end and that kind of thing. Mm. And yeah. so I think sometimes your own personal drama can impact your creative and professional confidence and work. <laughs> I mean, sometimes ultimately in good ways, like you can have this real creative spurt after a breakup. But mm-hmm. I think sometimes you can really get enmeshed in complex relationships that are you know, um, kind of eroding your confidence. Mm. And, you know, I think I see that most clearly in, you know, what was happening to my sort of performances on stage and how I was not kind of feeling completely 100% authentic and kind of clear and confident of what my path was and what I needed or wanted to say. Mm. Yeah. Well, we're right there with you. Ebbs and flows, ups and downs. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for your advice. And we've come to, you know, the um, the dreaded last question now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which um, which is a bit of a weird question. I was thinking about this, Jamie, because we're asking you to say if you were to be marooned on a desert island. However, if someone was going to have the conversation with you to tell you beforehand that you were going to be marooned <laughs> so that you could pack a book, yeah. um, and, um, what would that be? What would the book be and why? <laughs> well, you know, initially I thought I I would should probably pack a How to Survive on a Desert Island book, you know, <laughs> yeah. like some Wise. kind of called Guide to What You Can Eat um, from kind of natural sources on the island. But if we are being more um, kind of literary and, and thinking about what book nourishes us more spiritually, um, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many to choose and it, it was it's very difficult. But one that sprang to mind is Armistead Maupin's Tales of the City, um, because mm. I love his work and his kind of sense of creating community. And this, I think if you were reading Armistead's books, you would feel that you were surrounded by friends. Even if you were sort of alone oh. on a desert island, you would feel some kind of comfort from from the sense of community that he evokes. Um, he talks about logical family as opposed to biological family, which is something that I've mm. explored oh. a lot in my work as well. This idea that those conventional structures of family aren't always what apply to to us if we have smaller biological families we might feel that friends are our real family yeah Yeah. well that's a lovely sentiment to not be alone to surround surround yourself with your logical family while stranded alone on the desert island (laughs) with a but (laughs) but it's a lovely choice um yeah definitely thank you so much rosie um for everyone listening to stay up to date with Rosie's latest ventures. Follow her on Twitter at Rosie Wilby and also check out 
the breakup monologues book and podcast you can follow uh, them on instagram at breakup monologues and don't forget to follow us on twitter at right and wrong uk and on instagram at right and wrong podcast thank you so much rosie thank you for joining us today yes, thank you oh thank you it's been really really lovely to speak to you and yeah thanks for listening guys and we will see you in the next one goodbye bye <laughs> If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.